0: Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
1: And this is Dr. John Mike. I earned my PhD in exercise science from the University of New Mexico. I'm a columnist and team leader, or team member, sorry, for EliteFTS.com, and I officially became an uncle last week.
0: To oh, a, nice. A
1: newborn baby niece. Congratulations. So, thank nice. you. Thank you.
0: Uh, Phil is not with us today, everybody. The last text I got from him, uh, I don't think he'd mind me sharing, is that he's, quote, crawling out of his skin, close quote. Uh, I think he's talking about the Percocet or the Vicodin or whatever, you know, making him uh, sort of loopy and itchy, that that stuff after surgery, you know, those pain meds. Very weird, very weird stuff sometimes. So um, he's doing well in rehab. I know he's been posting to our Facebook forums and that sort of stuff. He had his hip, uh, complete hip. On Tuesday, Uh, and you know you're kind of stunned for just several days after that. You know you're trying to keep just a little bit of range of motion, but you know for goodness' sake, you can't do too much hip flexion. You can pop that joint right out, tear that muscle and all that right out, and so it's it's a very sensitive time for him. But so Phil will not be joining us this week. He's a he's a tough old bird, though. I I bet you he's going to force his way into the gym on a walker tomorrow. Yeah,
1: yeah, no doubt
0: um, And then we also have Mike Walker with us Uh, Mike, maybe just introduce yourself
2: Yeah, my name is Mike Walker I've got my master's degree in exercise physiology I'm a team VIP online coach uh, Olympic weightlifter and assistant coach At Rubber City Weightlifting in Akron,
0: Ohio Cool Hey everyone, we've had Mike on before uh, From an Olympic lifting perspective But Mike's gone through a bit of a Sort of an injury and repair process himself involving stem cells, and it just makes for a fascinating uh, case study because I've been saying it for the last six years on this program. But stem cells are going to change medicine, and I think yeah, Mike's totally. got yeah, Mike's got a really fascinating story. We're going to get to him in just a moment. First, we have some news though. Strength and Muscle Sport News. The first one. Um, it started this past week. I went to a webinar, which I never do. I don't know. It's funny because I, you know, I'm the chair of a technology committee and I advise on these sorts of things, but I tend not to like to participate in a lot of webinars myself. Um, I don't know, but I did this time. It was on the role of uh, the microbiome, right? Your intestinal bacteria in obesity. And there were heavy hitters on here. Andrew uh, Gerwitz, uh, he's a Ph.D. biochemist. And then Lee Kaplan is a MUDFUD, M.D., Ph.D., from Massachusetts uh, General Hospital. And the whole thing that I came away from this was that uh, there are things in the food supply that I wasn't aware of, honestly, that could be working with the quote-unquote bad bacteria in your gut and making you fat. I mean – quite fat the animals uh in the worst case scenario that i'm about to describe they were 20 25 percent fatter than the ones that are not eating these foods so what are these foods honestly uh, i think it's best described if you go back in time a little there was an article back in february by melissa healy uh, i think it was from the la times um emulsifiers So it's not necessarily like the trans fats or, you know, some of the things or the high fructose corn syrup that usually gets blamed. But emulsifiers, and there are two, and I will add this as an extra if you have the Iron Radio app through Libsyn, you know, maybe just a screenshot of what I saw, maybe just one screenshot. But there's two emulsifiers, right? One One of them is carboxymethylcellulose. And that's a real mouthful, but it's usually referred to as cellulose gum. It's not quite the same thing as just regular cellulose. but And the other is polysorbate 80, uh, sometimes known as tween 80. Uh, they're emulsifiers, meaning they make l- lipids and watery things play nice together. So they're in a lot of, like... Um, uh, Low-fat ice creams, you know, uh, salad dressings, shakes, yeah, it's in so puddings. many products,
1: Lonnie. Emulsifiers are in almost everything. It's oh. kind of like gluten, right? <laughs> oh, right,
0: exactly. So I went through my own um, kitchen a little bit looking at some of this, and I, sh- I found some, right? Uh, especially – and it's funny to me, though, because – well, let me back up. What do they appear to do? Well, because they're emulsifiers and they sort of have detergent-like properties – They sort of break up the mucosal lining, the mucus that naturally lines your intestines and protects your intestinal wall. It gets sort of, you know, detergented away or degraded on some level, not completely, but it allows the, again, the quote unquote bad bacteria in your gut to get down and actually touch or get within just a few microns of your intestinal wall, of your actual intestinal cells, instead of staying out in the the lumen, you know, the opening area of the intestines like it should, you you lose some of that mucosal barrier. And these bad bacteria start communicating uh, chemically with your intestinal cells. And there's all kinds of speculation what this does. One would be that you absorb more calories from the food you eat. That almost sounds good to some lifters, but um, others are that it's not so much that you're more efficient in absorbing calories, but you just – you have the munchies all the time, Uh, stuff like that. So they're trying to figure out exactly what it is they're screwing up, but the fact remains – I mean, again, the rodents that they're doing this with, they're they're feeding like 1% of the diet as either carboxymethylcellulose or polysorbate 80 – and these bad things are making these, these mice pretty, pretty freaking fat, to be honest. Uh, what struck me when I went through my own kitchen, just to make this more personal, I guess, or I'll add to this, is that some of the foods you see this in are things that are presumably healthy. You know, health foods to a lot of people. Bagels, you know, certain low-fat baked goods. Uh, Low-fat dairy products, you know, salad dressings. You're trying to eat more salad. You know, you want grilled chicken salad. You think you're doing everything right, and then you've got dressing on there that's loaded with these emulsifiers and is uh, screwing up uh, your gut function. There's even some suggestion in this L.A. Times article that they may alter the composition of gut microbes so some of the more inflammatory ones uh, rise in population. So what I saw in the webinar, it went through a lot of gory detail. I mean, they took germ-free rodents where they actually – they eliminate all the bacteria from their gut. and I don't know, antibiotics, however they do that. And then then they fed them some of these emulsifiers. Uh, And, again, they're in amounts that are in the food supply. And they didn't make the mice fatter when they had no bacteria in their gut, right? So that's how they've kind of piecemealed that out. And there's even a really cool cartoon – maybe I'll post somewhere where it basically shows how bacteria are supposed to stay out in the floaty area, out in the center of your intestines. They're not supposed to be up against the wall of your intestines, uh, right. but once those we, we sort of suds away the mucus that protects us, these things move in and, and cause all kinds of problems. So I don't think anybody's saying this is the reason for obesity in America, you know, the Western diet, but... It's yet another contributor because I'm telling you, I just looking at these pictures of how fat those mice were just because they were getting emulsifiers. And like you said, John, damn, it's in everything.
1: Yeah. And I think you have to take it, you know, just take it with a grain of salt because because they don't always extrapolate well to humans because, you know, in humans, you have so many life things going on, so many other life stressors that you just cannot control everything in a lab setting. So, you know, animal research is really good. I like it. It gives us a lot of insight to other potential applications, um, to, you know, human performance and and, and physiology and training and nutrition. So you just kind of have to take it for what it is. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it's just another reason why we always uh, are big advocates of, of probiotics and you know heavy probiotics especially like in good yogurts um, and then you can obviously you know, consume probiotics and supplements you know as well uh, because it is important like you need healthy gut bacteria right and, and I think that's probably one side of the nutrition aspect that people don't really realize a whole lot and I don't really see a lot of trainers or coaches really talking about it. And I don't really see, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about it um, aside from more of a scientific perspective. Uh, but I think it's really important because it's one of those things, um, it's almost like eccentric training, right? I, and, I, and I know I did my dissertation on it, but I, I'm using that as in parallel because it's, it's underrated, okay? And it's undervalued. It's the same types of Uh, you know, principles that apply to the the, the healthy bacteria, they're underrated and they're undervalued. So the more that you can, you know, have those on a regular basis, you know, whether it's taking a supplement or, you know, consuming good foods like yogurt, some good probiotics, you know, it's just, it's those really small things that, that pay huge dividends, whether or not you see them physically or you feel them, um, or, you know, for, for health You know, perspectives and checkups. You know, John.
0: To me, it's it harkens back to the way the old school bodybuilders dieted was that they ate unprocessed foods. Right? You you might say, "Well, if this stuff is in everything, how do we avoid it?" Well, the old school eat chicken breasts and broccoli, or chicken breasts and green beans, or chicken breasts and asparagus at almost every meal. You know, egg whites in the morning um, with Mm -hmm. some vegetables. That's how they used to do it. They would pay their dues for six oh, months yeah. and get ripped. And now we've got so many excuses with these quote-unquote diet foods, you know, th- and we wonder why we're not achieving that kind of weight loss. You know, it's like, well, because you, you can't eat your light ice cream and your light bread and your baked goods and this and that, uh, puddings. And even a lot of supplements and pharmaceuticals have some of these like polysorbate yeah. 80 in them. And to me, it's just an awareness thing. And it's a really good point about the animal research. We don't know how well it's going to pan out. So it's more of an awareness thing. Uh, Like I said, to me, it's a call to go back to natural whole foods uh, as much as you can. Uh, Let me me put this in perspective, though. If you think that this doesn't really have any impact, the populations of bacteria in your gut because of what you eat – so let's not for, let's forget about the emulsifier thing just for a minute and just think about the bacteria populations during this webinar. And again, these were heavy hitters that were giving this information. The the kind of bacteria in your gut predicts obesity with ninety percent accuracy. Holy crap! Now listen to oh. this: oh. genetics only predicts obesity with sixty percent accuracy. Yeah. So it's a big deal. And again, you might think, well, how do I? cultivate the good bacteria not the bad how do i keep this emulsifier thing out of this again whole foods you know try to eat vegetables lean meats you know that kind of stuff we're back to the whole idea that these are mechanisms by which i think processed foods are also bad um, but it kind of it's a reminder for us to go back to you know eating things that are as little processed as possible I think well, you know,
2: yeah,
1: and, it, and it's fun. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Yeah.
2: Oh no, it was just uh, you know what that reminds me of actually is just kind of the old school is Jack Delane always said if if man made it, don't eat it, and you know I, I know that's really simplistic, but that was always kind of the foundation of his principles, and if you think about it, you know I think that holds even more true nowadays than it did even when he said it, and if you think about it, you know that's all it really takes is simplistic eating. You know, like you said, you cook your own food what are the odds of me adding, you know, cellulose to, to my broccoli? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to be there because it's not something I'm going to utilize because it's not processed. And I always, when you, when everybody ever talks about something like this, like I said, I always think of like Jack Mulaney, you know, you keep it simple, you keep it straightforward and that's it. You don't do anything crazy. don't do anything fancy. And that's how you get good results where everybody else now is looking for, you know, possibly that shortcut or, you know, you get into those more processed things that have more than like four or five ingredients. If that's more than four or five ingredients, it's like, you know, some of that's bound to be processed.
0: Additive. Like, you know, yeah. Or you see yeah.
2: Like a cupcake that you need a PhD like you have to read because there's so many ingredients and they're so scientific that the, the lay person's not going to be able to read that. They're not going to understand most of that. Yeah.
1: And, and as I've always said before, it, it, when you see these, when you see foods, whether they're processed foods or, or, or what you think that are more whole foods, and most whole foods are fine, but, I mean, if, if it has a, a huge-ass long paragraph in the ingredients list, right. you Probably you probably don't want to eat it, you know? <laughs> so so the, the other issue, I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate for a second, and we talk about, you know, wholesome <clears throat> foods, and I don't want to get in the whole clean eating because that's kind of could be arbitrary and, 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 Subjective, in, and of, yeah. in and of itself, Absolutely. So, but what I wanted to say is, a play devil's advocate for a second, when you talk about like wholesome foods, you know, chicken and broccoli, when you're trying to put on weight and put on muscle mass for contests, that's almost the like the opposite approach that you want. I'm not saying you need to go to the buffet, you know, and go to the Chinese buffet, you know, five times a week and, you know, and, and consume six burgers a day. I'm not saying that. I don't, because I don't believe in the whole dirty bulk uh, much much anymore. Um, because it really throws off especially like your insulin levels and things like that and, and just kind of puts on unnecessary body fat but when you're trying to put on weight muscle weight and lean mass you you can't be eating chicken and broccoli and expect to to gain strength and size you know so it's like there's there this happy medium that you, you have to experiment with over the course of years of your training to see how you respond to certain things. And and and, it, and it's like anything else in life. It's like a doctorate process. It, it, and that's exactly what it is. It's a process and things don't happen in, in, in six weeks. Um, so that, I just kind of wanted to say that because people think, well, yes, if you want to get lean and look good and physique wise, you have to you know, be more strict and regimented with your eating. You know, when you're trying to put on weight for a contest, you can kind of lift that off a little bit. There's there's some different, it's like there's different approaches that you have to take for what goal that you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, I would suggest that there are uh, unprocessed foods that you could pour all over your broccoli, do stir fry with olive oil, you know, bring the calories like that. There's definitely, I don't I don't think anybody here is saying eat raw broccoli and live nibble like a rabbit, you know, Uh, but the like, for example, you might glug olive oil in the pan instead of using some of these salad dressings that have the polysorbate 80 Mm -hmm. in them, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it's just one more thing, I think, to keep on your radar screen, uh, especially if you suspect that maybe you do have some. You know, you're one of those people that you haven't been eating as cleanly. You probably have some of the poorer populations of bacteria in there. I think it's interesting, too, just to be aware of this because, like, you get people talk about the gluten avoidance kind of diet. Uh And some of what they're avoiding with these baked goods might be actually these, you know, detergent like molecules instead of. The gluten, because so many people that avoid gluten, they don't even know what gluten is. They don't know why they're avoiding it. You've seen some of those ridiculous interviews, you know. Yeah. And it might be this stuff Uh, again—these additives and stuff—that we've got to start to, um, like Mike, like what you're saying. That's a good point. Like if if man created it, or like John, you said, if there's 50 ingredients in that list, uh, back away from that. You know, Uh, probably. My son actually said it very well. He said, This sounds like literally you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, because if the baked goods have some of these, you know, solubilizing agents in them, because that's what we're trying to get away with. You know, I mean, I remember back, God, 15 years ago, some bodybuilders I knew down in Columbus, they had low carb bread. I'm like, You got to be kidding. Well, you know, now light bread is pretty pervasive, but that's trying to have your cake and eat it too. You know what I mean? And again, the old school guys like Frank Zane wouldn't have done that. He's eating yams and, and green beans and chicken, you know, and, and oatmeal and berries. And I, I don't know. So I, I think some of it's common sense, but it's another thing to keep on your radar, especially because like we were saying, the bacteria has a big impact and when you sort of, suds up and partly wash away or you affect the mucosal lining of your intestines, you're just going to make it worse. And I should point out, too, that the some of these heavy hitters, this Dr. Gerwitz and, uh, and Lee Kaplan, Dr. Kaplan, they were pointing out that these emulsifiers, they have grass status, right? They're generally recognized as safe uh, because they don't trigger a lot of those toxicological screens that they look for when they look for a, what's safe in a food additive, right? They're not going to look for some of these things like... How they're wrecking your bacteria Or how the bacteria are getting down And almost translocating Into your intestinal wall You know So it's one more thing That I think we need to be careful with And I've just said it a hundred thousand times But the food industry has done as much harm As it has good As far as the food technologists Oh Oh yeah there's no doubt You know uh, Let me switch gears real quick Because we uh, gotta keep moving Because I want to get to Mike's story After the break But Uh, we got a listener question, and you guys can weigh in on this. Uh, This is from Peter. I'll just leave it at that. He says, Hi, Lonnie. As a regular Iron Radio listener, enormous fan of your program style of the show, uh, of experience and evidence-based discussion, I would like to respond to the continued conversation of size and gains ratio. I'd love to hear Iron Radio's perspective on natural lifters like Mike O'Hearn that maintain incredible strength and low body fat. The relationship between genetics and training style is of fundamental interest. Maintaining low body fat and heavy lifting mixed with high-volume bodybuilding style supplementary exercises has appeared to be successful in some populations. And, again, he's referring to Michael Hearn as an example of success, I think. Mm -hmm. Your expertise in physiology is critical here. Just an idea for future shows. Keep up the solid work. And that's Peter from California. Uh. All right, John. What do you think about this comment about low fat, high volume bodybuilding lifestyle to create uh, somebody like Michael Hearn?
1: Well, I think first of all, there there are people that do that, and there are people like that that are successful. Because I know a lot of uh, bodybuilders and, and powerlifters who are, you know, they're lean. They do high volume. You know, they they, they lift heavy, and they and they're fairly lean. Um, but at the same time, I think we live in a culture. Um, anymore that um, I, I think it is a good idea to be open-minded with the fact that most people um, at high levels of athletics and competition are, are more than likely, um, I, I, you know, uh, extreme high percentage that they use uh, something. you know anabolics yeah. or something, um, and, and I think. That's one of the unrealistic things that a lot of people don't really understand. When they see these pictures in the magazines, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, like uh, more male prominent magazines, it could be things like, you know, shape or oxygen or whatever it is, you know, females, for example, Yes. you know, they, they um, just like, for example, in like the shape magazines or oxygens and things like that. And, I, and I've written for those magazines, but those images that they are in a lot of ways a distortion of, of, of reality because they don't look like that year round most of the time those pictures are taken right before a contest or right after a contest um you know in, unless you're on a lot of anabolics and cutting agents most people do not look like that what you see you like year round um so I, I think it, it's it's helpful to be open minded um and, and, and say that most people who you think may be natural or the odds are they're they're really not, especially if, if they're lean and hard um and, and, and muscular, like all the time, year round and throughout the years, um, you know, five, ten years or whatever it is. But I think it's helpful to, to stay open minded because we, we, we kind of have a tendency to idolize um and compare ourselves to you know other people they're lifting their looks their physique um and we want to achieve that level of success too and there's nothing wrong with that but you have to just be open-minded and and, and be realistic at the same time too
0: yeah the and, and, and genetics only take you so far uh yeah. you know what i mean i just want to point out something real quick i agree with peter about the you know higher volume bodybuilding style training That is going to lead to hypertrophy on some level. I've seen guys that just do very low-volume kind of lifts because, frankly, it's so freaking heavy. And some of those guys get thicker. Some, you know, it's so intense they don't actually get enough volume. You could actually leave the gym 45 minutes later or 65 minutes later and only have done probably less than two dozen reps total, you know. Uh, So there is a requirement for high volume. I do think it leads to hypertrophy and that sort of stuff. He's talking about maintaining lower body fat. There's no doubt some people can. Um, well, And I, I, you I, know what? I'm not going to cast aspersions at, at Mike O'Hearn. He's been around for a long time. Uh, but he's one of those kinds of guys. I mean, let's face it. There's There are mild and or low-dose anabolics uh, or lower-dose growth hormone. There's a lot of different types of things that can yeah. pharmaceutically enhance a physique. And Mike is someone who I believe is... Too big to be completely natural. He and, yeah. and again, the the ultimate test I'd like to see with someone like that would be to put them in a cell. You know, treat them well, but put them in a cell for three months. Let them eat as, eat whatever they want and lift however they want. Uh, and I think you're going to watch them shrink because they're mm-hmm. they're going to be. I mean, tissues are supported. In fact, the amount of mass you have is partly supported by hormonal concentrations. And yeah. what, if you forcibly remove that stuff, I think a lot of these people that are presented as natural, uh, whatever it is they're doing, I think is going to come to the forefront because you're not going to see them, uh, you know, you're going to see their physiques degrade in either size or hardness, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. Again, I- I'm not saying he's using illegal drugs, but to toss him out as a prime example of a natural lifter. Uh, that begs the question, you know, what natural means exactly, you know, yeah. and, and that yeah. sort of thing. No, I'm sorry, Mike, I cut you off. What were you going to no, say? No,
2: no, you're fine. Uh, you know, speaking on somebody like, you know, that, or and I think, you know, you guys kind of hit on it, but you won't have that realistic expectation because, you know, the fact is, is I'm a decently quick guy, but I'll never be Usain Bolt. It's just never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, when they see those magazines and see these people, you know, those might be the freak. You know, if they are clean or if they are natural, you got to remember there are some freakish people out there. And if you're not a freak yourself, you can't compare yourself to a freak and get away with it. Like, I have a teammate. She naturally puts on muscle. She's the definition of a mesomorph. She is 13% body fat as a female, 5'2", and weighs 130 pounds, and she's rock solid. Yeah. She's She's never touched a drug in her life. She... If, if 100%, let's say, is the elite of the elite athlete, like a, like a Bo Jackson, one of the greatest of all time, she's 96%. I mean, she's got potential to be world-class in, in almost any sport she touches. I mean, she masters it in a week. It's unbelievable. I've never been around somebody with, with her kind of power and speed and athleticism, but she barely – she doesn't even take protein. like you know, She's just that shade of freak. She's been this way her whole life. As, even as a little kid, she can master a sport in five minutes. And, you know, how can you compare yourself to somebody like that is unrealistic, you know. Unless you have those kind of potential and that kind of genetics, you know, you can't go around and say, you know, I am this person. Speaking of shape, one of uh, of our TVIP girls, Ashley colt has been on that magazine. Ashley was a a track runner in college. So naturally, she had good genetics to stay lean. She was naturally lean. She had nice shapely legs. She's a bikini competitor. So she had a lot of, like, genetic advantages off the get-go that are going to separate her. You know, for example, in figure bikini bodybuilding, the size of your waist matters. Well, you can't buy a small waist. You can't do it. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? You either have it or you don't. Versus like somebody like myself, you know, I'm blocky. I'm very blocky. But I'm built to take, you know, heavy weight and punishment. But if I try to bodybuild, is my waist going to get very small? Absolutely not. And, you know, being realistic, would I ever be a good bodybuilder? No. I don't have the build for it at all. Yeah. But I have... I have more of the genetics set up to be strong and be powerful and that's what I'm good at. But I think people have these unreal ex- unreal expectations that when they see, like, you know, a, a Mike O'Hara and they're like, oh, you know, I, I want to be him, I want to be that guy. Well, unless you're an absolute complete freak who's naturally muscular, has, you know, good genetics and it has a hard work ethic, you know, you may never achieve that without a little bit of help. And it's not to say that that's sullying your accomplishment or your goals. That's still a good goal. And I mean... The guy's in incredible shape, you know, and he's done well for himself. But at the same time, like I said, you can't be, you know, five foot three, three hundred pounds, and go, I'm going to be him. I'm going to be the next Arnold. It's like, well, let's try getting you in shape first and see where we're at. Versus, you know, that unreal, you're, you know, your outlandish expectation. That's all.
0: Yeah. So Peter did ask us to specifically address that. Right. Some of the the genetic variants. And it's a good point about extreme outliers. And I mean, of course, there's a possibility that Mike O'Hearn is an extreme outlier. But I think if you saw him in person, you know, I mean, he's all over the place in stock photos. I've even seen his pictures in in textbooks. And like you said, he's done well for himself. Uh, But I think we need to be very cautious other than looking at him as let's pretend for a minute that he is completely quote, natural, unquote, um, maybe he is an example of, as uh, an outlier of what's possible. You know, like Fortress will sometimes say, why do we? Why are dragsters interesting to us? Because they show us not what you can do on the road in your own car, but they show you what's possible, you know, what's within the realm of possibility. So maybe he is in that category, but like I said, c- call me um, negative or hypercritical, but the only test for me that's going to guarantee that these people are in fact completely natural is that isolate them away. I mean, you watch some of these guys, uh, like some of the bodybuilders who have gotten themselves in trouble. They go into prison, they come out six months later, and they're half the man they were at the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. and, and again, uh, it's it, what you mean by natural uh, is a big deal. You know what I mean? And the only way to really be sure is to remove any kind of uh supplementation you know from that scenario so i do think though that there are people that can probably hold 190 200 pounds with single digit body fat maybe 89 percent body fat um you know what i mean actually we've done some experiments versus experience recordings about that like how big can somebody be natural and still be clean you know, and I don't yeah, think it's, it's much it's over 200 so like, pounds for a natural guy of normal height. I really don't. Yeah,
1: I've, I've got. I mean, I, I don't. I, I would. I would venture. I mean, it depends on your genetics and how big you are. You know, to begin with. And but I, I would. I would probably venture to say, on the high end, um, probably uh, to 270 uh-oh, pounds. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: So.
0: Okay, well, I'll tell you what, we are uh, eating up time, so we're going to go to break. When we come back, uh, we will talk to Mike Walker about uh, stem cells and the future of that, how it affects his training as an Olympic lifter. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC press in protein, uh, there's a new development on the right side of the page. You can see ebook and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with vital book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for 69 us dollars. So that's 31% off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, Lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, And on behalf of Phil and Rob... I just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Iron Radio listeners are a unique bunch. You value both in-the-trenches' skills and the research and evidence that informs it. That's why, as a listener-supported show, we occasionally do funds drives to keep everything free and advancing. Did you know your donations at www.ironradio.org pay for web servers? They allow for small sponsorships of gifted competitors or students, and even partly fund research on our specific population. That's what we're asking for during the spring and early summer funds drive. Dr. Lowry, that's me, and some students are on the verge of some key discoveries involving caffeine and explosive lifts, but we need help to get the message out. If you value the authenticity, expertise, and real progress Iron Radio provides, please consider a donation. Any amount is appreciated, but if you could put forward $25 or more and email Fortney at hotmail.com about it. We'll send you some behind-the-scenes audio lab notes that were recorded during data collection. They offer true insight into what research is like on barbell athletes. Thank you for considering it. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, listeners, we are back after the break. Uh, We're going to turn the attention straight to... Uh, Mr. Mike Walker, who's a strong man uh, in the past, and Olympic lifter. And what we really want to get to uh, with Mike is, and this is interesting in the in the light that Phil is gone a- having a major surgery. Uh, you know, and Mike had some problems uh, with his back. And anyway, tell us your story basically from that perspective, Mike. So when did you first feel symptoms? Um, you know, how did you decide that you were going to look into stem cells? How did you pursue it? You know, the whole story from the beginning.
2: All right. So let's kind of give like the, the sum up of a little bit of the beginning. Right around when I was five, I, I still remember to this day, I was watching Strongman and it was Bill Kazmaier versus Jeff Capes. And I'm either 81 or 82, the world uh, championships. And I had said that I wanted to do that. For some reason, that just called to me. And between the time I was, like, 5 to 10, like, I would off on play with weights. Like, my brothers would lift or my dad would lift, and I'd go do it, like, once every couple of weeks, some curls or maybe a little bit of bench. And then when I was around 10, I really just wanted to do it. And at that point, my dad was like, all right, well, we'll let you go. And we had equipment and everything, so I started picking it up more intensely and, you know, started training every other day or every couple of days. You know, I'd get two, three lifts in a week, and I would start doing, you know, more exercises and more things. And then when I was in middle school, you know, I could bench 250, I could squat 350, you know, I was 5'10", and I could get my whole hand up on the rim, you know, and, I, and so, you know, that's kind of where I was at, and right around freshman year of high school is when I discovered strongman-like amateur competitions and everything, so I started getting ready for that, and I competed at nationals, and qualified, and did all that stuff, and then I was training uh, powerlifting, it was my sophomore year of high school, so when I was uh 15, I remember I was really proud of this accomplishment. I was able to deadlift 500 for a triple with no belt, no straps, you know, and I, I was pretty happy with that, and then I was, uh, I just did my first powerlifting meet at the state championships, and I was getting ready, uh, for my second strongman contest that year, and I still remember, it was funny, you'd said symptoms and everything, when did they first start, I still remember to the day, like, what had happened, I was in lifting in the morning with a friend, And I was doing sumo deadlifts, and I came up on one of them, and I felt a pop in my back. And I couldn't tell what it was at the time. And so I tried to finish my reps and my sets, and I was just in excruciating pain. But, you know, being a 16-year-old kid, I was just pushing. I was pushing through it. I was like, you know what? That's just a strain. You'll be fine. You know, you've never felt pain before. You know, you're okay. Like, deal with it. And so I, I literally couldn't sit at my desk. I had to constantly ask the teacher if I could get up. I was, like, ready to cry just sitting there. It hurt so bad. So then uh, I took a couple of weeks off and finally went up and saw my doctor, which at the time I was 16. It was a pediatrician. And, you know, it's nothing against her. She's a pediatrician. She's not a sports med doctor. She's not an orthopedic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a 16-year-old kid with six years of lifting under my belt. And she just goes, oh, it's probably a minor slip disc. You know, here's some anti-inflammatories. Take a couple more weeks off. You'll be fine. So I went back to training and everything. It felt a little bit better. But... Then I ended up competing. That was around May. And then in September, I did another strongman competition. Halfway through the contest, my back let out, and I knew it. So finally, they sent me to a a sports medicine-specific doctor. They MRI'd me. They went through all the steps. And they're like, well, your your L3, L4 disc, you crushed. Like, you can see on the MRI, we're talking 50% degeneration. Like, I smashed it. Mm. And... They finally were like, you know, let's do some rehab, see how it goes. And the rehab, it was horrible. You know, I'm not going to name names, but it sucked. It, it, it made my abs weak. They put a brace around my abs. Like, they weakened it. You know, I, I didn't get any better. So finally they're like, you know, well, it has regenerative properties. And I'm like, well, yeah, to a point, everything will. So I think they were just kind of lying to me about it because I was a kid. So finally they sent me to their specialist and he's a world-renowned specialist, too. He's really good. And he just looks at me. I walk in, and he goes, yeah, you're screwed. He goes, you're never touching a weight again. And to this day, I remember grabbing the sucker on the way out saying, yeah, we'll see about that. So, you know, I took off the brace they gave me and started training again. I'm like, I'm not going to let this stop me. So I got back into Strongman again and competed and started working on that. And finally, uh, you know, I was being pretty successful at Strongman. It wasn't having too many issues. And then I uh, ended up tearing my bicep, getting ready for a contest, which is a really common problem in Strongman. Yeah, it and, is. It and is. really, after after that point, I, I decided that, you know, I was weighing about 290 at that point. I was like, you know, like we kind of talked about earlier with being natural and clean and, and what's going on is, these guys in Strongman, I, I'm six foot, you know, I have a frame that can hold low 300s. but. You know Brian Shaw, who just won again, is six eight four forty. Yeah, event, he, I know.
0: <laughs> you he's know, a monster.
2: He's he a monster. You know, I, I I didn't get the height. You know, those guys are getting bigger and bigger. You know, half Jorn Bornson, they call him Thor. I walked by him yep. at Arnold, six ten four hundred pounds with abs.
1: Yeah, he's like Crazy. 6'9". and like yeah, and I, I'm I'm almost six four and. I'm um, I'm still floating around three hundred about three hundred now.
2: And it's and that's the thing, you know, a lot of those guys, like it's the unspoken, they're probably on fine, whatever, you know. But it's like, do I want to shake hands with that and move on to the next part of the career and maintain this weight and go from there, or do I want to do something that you know I, I think I would have a better potential at? And that's when I kind of stumbled into Olympic lifting. I have shorter legs, I have big hips, big shoulders, so you know, I, I kind of started pursuing that. And to land the whole plane, you know, with with the stem cell, essentially about halfway through my Olympic lifting career, about a year or two in, I started having bad slipped discs. They would bulge. Didn't matter what I was doing. Didn't matter how tight I was keeping my abs. Didn't matter, you know, what lift I was doing or what positions. They were they would just slip out of place. And it was becoming so frequent that I could almost tune my watch to it. Every five to six weeks, this would slip. Didn't matter if I took time off before. Like I I tried to play with it. So what pushed me to the stem cells essentially was I really had a choice it was retire attempt to just get a normal life because my discs were degenerating they were bulging constantly you know I couldn't even put together a two-month training cycle without hurting myself or what grassroot kind of grunt option do I have left what's left to do and I started looking into it and I was lucky that when I was a professor I had a student I already had it done And he was kind of a a guidance in the whole thing. Like he would, you know, tell me what he did, how he felt, what he thought. And then, you know, doing my own research and actually, you know, consulting with you about it, Lonnie, you know, getting your Ph.D. expertise in on it. I decided that, you know, this is one of the last things I can do to hopefully keep my career going, you know, because I'm only going to compete for another five years. You know, that's not a lot of time. And I would like to finish out my career competing versus being forced into retirement. So that's what prompted me to to find this place and to do my research and i ended up going out into colorado to do it i was outside of uh denver loveland colorado is what it was called a pedic stem cell center and they were great they uh he's a, a spine specialist that's what he does and his goal is he doesn't like doing surgeries he's like i don't want to do surgery on people he goes your body wants to heal itself he goes but you know somewhere like a disc or something that's you know not going to have a lot of blood flow and everything is not going to get the stem cells or the nutrients it needs. So what we're doing is we're taking those healing cells and we're putting them right where they need to go. Let's try to fix it this way. And they had, you know, a lot of good research that I read over that was showing that, you know, it it worked well and everything. And recently I had uh, some x-rays done on my hip and it showed, they said, your disc spacing is perfect. And I looked at my L3, L4, especially because that's the longest one that's had the issues and it grew back. I mean, in less than a year, it was hundred percent. They're like, look at this spacing on all of your discs; they're good. Hmm. And I'm like, and they injected. They injected three levels because my L3, L4, my L4, L5, and my L5S1 L5, were problematic. So they injected all three of them. And I, like I said, I physically saw the picture. They're like, look at. They're like, these are fine. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah. And I go, well, if you pulled up my MRI or picture, you know, ten years ago, they're all screwed you know they're all bulged they're all smashed and I'm like you know knock on wood I haven't had any bulging issues they've grown back completely and it's like wow this is you know it was a a calculated gamble I call it you know because you never know exactly there's not a uh, there's not a uh, quantitative way to justify this like with my bicep surgery is very cut and dry you know we're going to tack it back down as long as you do the rehab you'll be fine they can almost guarantee that where this one it's like They'll work to a point where you're going to get something out of them, and I got, you know, pretty much the, the full effect out of them. So that's kind of where where my story goes for the most part. Right. So, now, Mike,
0: do you think you were a best-case scenario? Because, I mean, you're back to training. Aren't you hitting some PRs now with your Olympic lifts and whatnot?
2: And actually, yeah. What happened was I, I had the surgery done in, in late July of last year, so it's coming up on a year, and by end of November... Because I had taken off, I took off all of August, all of September, and I think the very last week of October, I actually got back to lifting, lifting, which was not even heavy, just actual barbell stuff. And by the end of November, I was past my old total and past my old PRs. So that's
1: awesome. Yeah,
2: it, it was, and that's the thing. Like I felt better. The only I've literally only had because I, I, I figured drawbacks will be brought up. The only drawback I've had with this whole thing is. And I've had this in the past anyways with my disc is the facets on the outside of my, my spine or the joints there, they, they're they irritated right now. Because what happened is essentially they went from one position and grew into another and that's caused inflammation in them a little bit. So, I mean, literally that's the only problem I've had to deal with and it's actually more of a simplistic fix. You either take time off to let it rest or, you know, you get some low-dose cortisone shots in them. It takes the inflammation away and you're fine. So... You know, it was uh, it definitely was a whirlwind of experience, especially when I hit that first like PR after, you know, cause my actual quote strength lifts weren't as high as they were before, but my Olympic lifts were higher because I could hold a better back position. And it was just amazing to think that in less than like 10 weeks, you know, I was starting to crack PRs consistently and, you know, I've been hitting them ever since. I take a little bit of time off because of the facet irritation, but you know, like I said, it's not a bulge. It's not anything that's overly problematic. You know, that's just, like, a training tweak. You, you know what I mean? It's still one of those minor, like, aches and pains kind of that goes with it. But,
0: you so know, like Mike, I said. Is this, then, is this something you would recommend that, whether it's a power lifter, Olympic lifter, even a bodybuilder, because I've known some bodybuilders with multiple, you know, vertebral fusions and whatnot, you know. And, of course, that, that invites other problems down the road as the, the articulating – Uh, Vertebrae on either side of the fusion, they have to be hyper articulating, you know, hyper mobile because you got this section of your spine that's basically like a rod now, Uh, you know. And there's some other issues with that. So, but is this something then you think is, um, is it going to go mainstream? Should guys start googling around if they've got back problems and pursue this, or is this so experimental that you were just lucky to get in on it?
2: You know, it's, it's a little bit of both. I, I got in at a good time because the actual place I went to, they're booking people way more in advance now, and they're, they're actually, their numbers are going up, which is good. You know, I, I wish them the best in business, obviously. But, you know, it was it was a little bit more experimental at the time when I did it because, you know, this was, well, was the first place in the U.S. that had done it. They were the first. They've done the most, and that's part of why I went to him. And, you know, like I said, his day job, Like, he did fusions, and he also did a procedure where he literally put in – it's something made out of, like, Bavaria, Germany that they use in place of – like, it's like a fake disc, but it's metal. And he's like, I don't – you know, he goes, this is what I do. He goes, but I don't like doing that to people. He goes, you know, I'd rather do this first. And I think this should be – you know, if you're serious about getting something fixed, I would do this first. It's going to cost you, A, less money, B, you know, if it ends up working – they literally gave me the, the like, when they, they didn't put me under anything, they gave me kind of the same cocktail they give for, like, a colonoscopy or just a little loopy. Yeah. But, like, to come out of it and everything, you know, only took, you know, I, yeah, I was sore for a couple of weeks, but it wasn't like a major surgery. You know, obviously what Phil's going through type thing. And if you have to have a spine fusion, you know, that's, that's very major. That's dangerous. You're yes, dealing with nerves, right. You're dealing with other things, like, where well, this is a, a lot less – risk you know and i would suggest going to this definitely first because you know reading over their research and some research you sent me and just research on stem cells in general you know we know they work we know they work well and you know i got them they actually didn't they didn't use someone else's stem cells they took them out of my iliac crest so they use my you know genetic material and everything Mm -hmm. so you know what i mean like it, the, you don't bleed during the surgery. You know, you don't need to donate blood. You know what I mean? There's right. a lot of
0: rejection like, risk is not an issue, that kind of stuff. E-
2: exactly. So like, you know, and, it, and the, the worst, the absolutely you know, the worst case scenario is, is I would have just been out money. If it didn't work, I, I was where I was to begin with, where you get a spine fusion or, or something drastic like that. You know, there's a, there's a good chance that, you know, you're not going to even be close to the same. At least the worst case I had was, well, I'm going to either get better or I'm going to end up where I was. And, you know, that you, that to me seems like a lot better risk to reward than, okay, we got to go in and fuse your spine. It's like, well, you're going to have a thousand complications with that. You're going to lose mobility. You're going to, you know, be put in a worse position, I think. But that's more of a last resort. With this, I really feel that, you know, people should pursue this way before. And actually, the place also does like, you know, for like knee tissue, you know, people, if you're starting to get low on cartilage, they do injections like that as well because, you know, you think about it, that's a lot of that's a catalyst into knee replacements is you can just get a couple of injections and you're on, you know, crutches for a few days to let it set and then your knee tissue grows back. I mean, geez, how much better would that be, you know, for you as a person, but like I said, with everything else, the recovery is quicker, you know, right. you go back to quality of life faster and you're not, you know, you know, when you have your knee replaced, it's metal. Metal doesn't heal itself like bone does. So, you know, that's why they have to re-replace knees and things like that. And that's a huge surgery, just like a hip. You know, yeah. but if you could have your tissue regenerate itself, it's like, why wouldn't you want you It know, seems
0: like, that? yeah, it seems like the, the principle is regrow rather than replace, you know. So, well, we're, as we start to wind down here, so what are your competitive aspirations? And, I mean, it sounds like you're back to 100% or maybe even better uh, than you were in the past aside from some of that, you know, inflammation uh, because of the regrowth and whatnot. So what's your plan?
2: The plan was always hopefully to make one Olympic team and a couple international teams, and I don't think that's changed. Actually now, given that I'm healthier, it seems like it's e- an even more of a possibility. You know, i got to step up to super because of my height. I'm, I'm more built to be a super. But, you know, the one thing I always rely on and remember is I can get really strong very quickly, and I have an extremely good coach, technique wise you know dan bell is one of the best in the country in my opinion and you know our team in a very short time has really stamped our mark you know we're about to send hopefully a full team to a national level meet here in the next six months to a year uh you know being around five years is it's quite an accomplishment so you know he's got the technique aspect of it i know how to get strong and then i know people to depict to my diet and help me you know kind of maximize everything else so the goal is definitely to uh to make 2020 and uh to go to tokyo and hopefully do some damage like godzilla as i always tell
0: people (laughs) fantastic that's all yeah that's awesome man it's just funny
2: oh and I, i wanted to talk about one other thing too uh part of what really helped me with my uh my rehab and coming back was one of the things they said was like cold laser or cold therapy and i don't know how familiar you guys are with but i definitely wanted to point that out because it helps stimulate cell growth and and have you are you guys familiar with it at all like
0: not it's, particularly, no.
2: No, no. And so, okay, well, essentially what it is, it's just like an extreme ice bath, but you don't get the pricks and, like, the tingles like you do in a normal ice bath. And so what it does is you get that, that effect where it pulls all the blood to your core for a few minutes, and then it rushes it back out with nutrients. And like I said, it helps stimulate growth. And I started doing that when I was coming back from my back. There's a, a place in Akron called Cryotherapy Plus. They have the full setup and everything. And, you know, I did it uh, the first time back in November – and I, I really liked it. And it, it, what I said, like, it helps reduce that inflammation and it, it literally helps with stimulating cell growth and, like, the fresh nutrients and everything. That really helped extremely. And I can tell you, you know, I'm not – I don't do it just to do it. Like, I do it because I feel better. Like, I consistently feel better. Like, my knees never bother me knock on wood. It helps me recover quicker after a workout and lifts and stuff. And, you know, it's just one of those things like the. I'm just lucky that they have a place in Akron. It's literally right off, huh. you know, right in Fairlawn. And every time, I, like I said, every time I go in, it's only three minutes. So instead of a 20 minute prickly, like horrible ice bath, but I truly like what they told me at the stem cell place was like cold treatments like that really do help. That's one of the specific things they said. So I was really lucky that I could find crowd, like they to have enough 10 minutes from my house because they're starting to be more prevalent. But, like, you know, the big news is is that's what LeBron's been using. You know, he started going to the same place, and that's great. It's just funny. I, I'm an originator. I started going there like two months after it opened. You know, because I'm that crazy shade of like, what's going to make me better, and that's one of them. And the other one is you know just general PT. You know, I, I go see Matt Stevens, and he's been taking care of me for the last year. And without those kind of components, I swear if I didn't have those, I don't think I would have recovered as fast. Seriously, huge, huge.
0: Proponent. Well, it's good to know. I mean, you've got to move. In some direction, start your search. I mean, if if we have listeners and if we have a bunch of, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we have lifters with issues with their back. I mean, I myself suspect like an L5 S1, you know, issue and that kind of stuff. And I, I know the NSCA says that you know heavy lifting over years doesn't necessarily cause degeneration and that sort of thing. I, I, it, I think it's sort of people are genetically prone. Maybe some people, or maybe the the training is is so brutal that it's not something that's in the textbooks. But I think we probably have a lot of listeners who would be interested. They've got back issues. And I think your story really suggests be proactive. Go be part of your own treatment. Look into the stem cell thing. Look into, you know, some of these things. Now, you have to be careful because there are alternative therapies out there that I think are just hokey, you oh, know. But yeah. but at the same time, uh, doing nothing isn't making you better, you know. And you can argue the ethics or whatever of, self-treatment and that sort of thing and self-experimentation. But, yeah, I, I do think there are things that come to light in the strength conditioning community uh, that much later you'll see clinicians start to embrace, but they, they'll they never really give credence to the fact that we did that first. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Well, us, us Neanderthal meatheads, are, are, with, by our archaic and barbaric methods, could have never been right.
0: Right, right. Hey, <clears throat> just to, I want to end with this then. Um with Phil gone because of a massive hip replacement and with Mike on the show also having procedures done and uh getting back to lifting. I mean that's that's the goal. Anybody who's a lifer, you know, that's the goal. Um I'm gonna announce the summer contest. So June and July. What I'd like to do is uh suggest that we have listeners, I'll create a thread on our Facebook listeners page. Um tell us your story about symptoms or how you're proactive, Um, you know, you could call it surgical tales uh, or treatment in general, because again, what Mike had was not necessarily surgery, Um, but tell us your own story and we'll randomly pick some of you. I've got just a bevy of things built up here. I've got beautiful, brand new 2015 textbooks. I've got earbuds because of course we're a podcast, Uh, protein bars and uh, DVDs and I've got a bunch of stuff that's been building up on me, so I will start a thread on the Facebook forums, and sort of in honor of uh, Mike's success and you know Phil's future success, uh, because I really believe it's going to happen. Then, uh, yeah, let's do that summer contest. So we'll call it Surgical Tales, or you know, comeback stories from injury, and we'll choose some of you, you know, for some of these goodies. We'll mail them out to you. Good stuff. Sounds great. All right. Well, until next week, everyone. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our... Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average, boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists